0: Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church, Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it.
1: so good to be together in the presence of the Lord. I was just uh, processing a lot as we've been singing songs of praise and lifting the Lord. You know, when we come into a place like this, a time of worship and we focus on the Lord, the experience of community is absolutely beautiful. That we're coming together hopefully with a single purpose to focus our hearts and our minds our attention on the Lord. And as we're in community, it helps to draw us into communion, that, that, you know, we're coming out of a world that is not focused on the Lord, and we're coming into a place where He is centered. So this community helps to focus us into communion with the Lord, and the goal is that in this communion with the Lord that we don't leave this place and allow ourselves to drift from communion, but we go into a community that needs to see a person who is in communion with God that God is desiring to do such a work in our lives that we go out from this place and we radiate and we shine his glory, that people will be drawn to him. And as we were worshiping, I was, I just, I so appreciated again the, the privilege that we have to together lift up the name of Jesus and focus on him. But I really felt drawn to speak to some people that I believe are in this room and some that are joining us online. That in the midst of worship, in the midst of praise, you're feeling a huge disconnect. We've all been there at times, but I believe that God is speaking to somebody that you're feeling this disconnect because the the life that you're living and what's happening inside is not meshing with this beauty of Jesus that we're experiencing. There is no condemnation. I want you to know that God is drawing you, that God loves you, and he is desiring to do a deep work in your life this morning. While you may have struggled to feel this connection that you see others around you experiencing, God is for you, and he's calling you, and he's inviting you to this place in him that is the most sacred place in your world. So just want to encourage you, listen to his invitation, respond. He is calling, he is drawing, he loves you with a love that goes beyond your comprehension. He is so good. And I'm confident, I'm confident of this, that as we've sung worship in song, as we're going to look into the word, that the Holy Spirit has a word for each one of us. Maybe you've already heard some of what he's speaking specifically to you, but I want you to to just ask God, tune my ear, God, that I would hear what you want me to hear from you today. Because I'm convinced that God has a word for each one of us. I've prepared and I've prayed and I'm going to present, but I know that God's going to speak a fresh word to me. Even as we walk through this time. So be open to the word of God that he is desiring to speak to you. He is faithful and he loves you. Now we can get started, right? Um, we would like to now point your attention to two uh, really amazing things. And the first is this, is that this Saturday, that's uh, <coughs> March 26th at four o'clock here in, the, in Grace Cafe, uh, there's going to be a foundation celebration And this is for confessional community, and the celebration is based off of Ezra 3, verses 10 and 11, that when Israel had laid the foundations of the temple, that there was a celebration of praise and thanksgiving to God for the foundation that was laid. And that's exactly what we're inviting you to. So whether you've been part of, of one of the new confessional communities, there have been eight that have uh, launched beginning, the beginning at the very beginning of February. Uh, so whether you've been part of one of those or not, you're invited. Everyone's welcome. And it's a time of celebration. And In this time of celebration, we're going to have worship. We're going to have fellowship. Uh, we're going to have some life stories. We're going to be hearing vision of what, what God is pointing us toward as the confessional community grows. And if you're still not sure if you want to come, there's going to be food. (laughs) So you don't need to sign up or anything, just show up. Uh, We're looking forward to having you here at the church this Saturday at 4 o'clock. And then we'd also like to just give you a little bit of this vision that's going out. So we've said from the beginning that with confessional communities, these are communities that have been formed with, with a focus and a form and a purpose but they're part of what God has always been doing here at Grace and pointing us to Jesus. It's proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, that, that, that proclaims that Jesus alone is our way to God and that God desires for the church to grow with one another. So, again, the, the form is not, is not, the, um, is not central. It's, it's the purpose and the focus and that we would create safe, safe places that people can come into community and allow the light of Jesus Christ to shine and reveal and heal. And that's what we're designed for. Again, it exists. We know that, that, that this has been a confessional community since its foundation, Grace Fellowship. That the ministries are confessional in nature. And that, that every ministry desires to provide those kind of places. And we're going to see an expansion and growing out of how uh, this wave of focus and of, and of direction is going to expand in all the ministries here at Grace. So we're going to be uh, focusing more on that as we go forward, and uh, we just want to invite you to be open to allow the light of God to reveal and to heal every part of your life. He's able. Do you believe it? Amen. So we're now going to continue this journey through Genesis. And we're looking at God's story and ours and it would really help me, Like, and so we're going to be repeating this as we go along, is that we're looking at, at, at God's story and at ours, because even as we read the passage today, we want to understand God's story better, and we want to understand our story more fully. And the goal that we've been talking about is that, that if, if when we're looking at writing a story, God's got the big pen, we've got a little pen, and we need to surrender our little pen to his big pen. Okay, who do we want to write the story for our lives? For us to, to dialogue and to write our own story or to surrender and allow God to write the story. And we see today, we're going to see it again, but God is constantly in pursuit of us. He is desiring for, for us to see who he is and to come alongside of him. And we may be running and running and running, ignoring and pushing him away, but he is pursuing us. He is he his life and he desires for us to experience his life. Now, last week, Ben did an amazing job because he took the genealogies and brought life out of them. And so I think we should applaud the work of God through our brother Ben last week. Honestly, I was sitting there listening to his message. I was like, thank God I didn't need to bring that message. <laughs> I don't know. You, you God appointed Ben for last week because there's so much truth and so much life that was brought out. One of the things that was stressed was the, God's mercy, this covering that is provided for us. That is to free us from judgment and from from moving in judgment. And I want to say that that on Wednesday nights, so I'm a you know, quick plug for Confessional Prayer Community. We're in here on Wednesday nights, and and our focus of prayer is built around the message. And I'll tell you what, God just spoke so powerfully on Wednesday night in that time of prayer, and it was specifically that literally God shining the light on us of how we so quickly carry judgments. And the beauty of this being able to confess that and say, God, I judge so quickly, forgive me. And there's such healing in the room and it's so absolutely so beautiful. And we can all have this tendency towards this, but God's mercy can free us from this tendency to be judging. But then we looked at how one life impacts many lives and that when a person lives for God, there is fruit down the line far beyond their life. And when a person resists God, and lives in the opposition to God. Unfortunately, that also carries generationally. But God pursues, and He redeems and he heals. So what we do affects others, whether we realize it or not. And this was such an encouragement in these small steps that as we take small steps in obedience to God, it may feel like we're not, make, not making a, a big difference or that there's a significant change in our lives, but as we take small steps. In the same direction toward God, there will be change. And we need to continue to walk. Taking the small steps, celebrate the small steps toward God. Celebrate the small change that seems minuscule. Don't despise the small things. But celebrate and keep walking. And it will, it will set a direction that, that literally God can use to transform lives. And we saw how Enoch walked. Enoch, Enoch walked faithfully with the Lord. He lived 365 years And the Lord took him, never saw death. And Enoch was the great-grandfather of Noah. And we're going to see today how Noah faithfully walked with the Lord and how God used him powerfully. Now, if you haven't looked at it yet, we're about to look at the flood. And this is difficult when we read this because it's just it's hard to understand not what happened but how God, who is God, writes this story. So sometimes, and it was just mentioned recently, I think our brother Phil talked about it, is like we can ask this question, why do bad things happen to good people? I really appreciated his response. That Well, the first thing is that there, there's no one that's good. Right, we all have faults. We all have failings, but but it can be so such a struggle when we look at the situations of life. And it's like, wow, you know, this person, or or we can even look at our own lives and say, I'm doing the right things. I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm pursuing the right things. And like, man, there's not a break. Like, all these things keep happening, and it just doesn't it doesn't mesh up, and that can be very frustrating. The reality is is that we're not made to be exempt from the things of life. We're made in Christ to be victorious through the things of life. But this question, again, this can can trouble us. Why do bad things happen to to good people? You look at Job, and and you look at that, and like, he was amazing. He was a righteous man. And then God allows all these, everything in his life almost, except his breath, to be taken from him. It's like it's hard for us to understand But let me give you a more difficult thing to understand. Why does sometimes God do things that seems to be completely against the fact that he is love? Like we're not talking about just God allowing things to touch our lives, but why, today we're gonna read about the direct action of God. It can be very challenging to reconcile what we're going to read and what we're going to study with God being a God of love. This is honestly, I feel like, one of the most difficult places in human history to reconcile these things. And yet I believe God's going to help us to see him more clearly today. That we're going to see that he is always fully God. And he is always love. I'm just going to pray that God will work a miracle in all of our hearts and lives, that we would see him more fully today and see how our lives are being called to him today. Father, thank you. God, for the gift of this time. God, we thank you for every person that's joining, both in person and online. And God, we thank you that we're not here by chance, but God, we're here by your divine call and your divine move. And Lord, that this is a divine appointment with you. So God, we thank you that your word, the promise of your word is that it's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces the deepest part of our being. So Lord, we thank you, Lord, that that's going to happen. We thank you that the promise of your word is not that it will not return void, it will not return empty, but it will accomplish what it was sent to do. So God, we just ask that you would help us to posture ourselves before you right now to receive the most, to receive the best, to receive, Lord, that word that you desire to speak to us. Transform us by your power, by your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, let's dive in. It's the flood, right? Sorry. It won't be the last one, I'm sure, today. (laughs) But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6 and 7. We're going to take sections of of verses as we walk down through Genesis chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the hero- heroes of old, men of renown. Now these first, we just read the first four, but the first eight verses of chapter 6, six is the segue into the story of the flood. When we came from the genealogies of last week, this is a transition, and it's setting up and giving context to what's about to happen. So first of all, it says that the humans began to increase in number. Now, I know that there's no way for us there wasn't a census in that day, and we have records to point back, uh, but scholars do a lot of studying, and all their studies have to have certain suppositions and, and, and assumptions as they do the studies, but it's estimated that potentially at this point, this is 10 generations from Adam that the, That the population of the Earth may have been around seven hundred and fifty million people now when I say ten generations, that sounds like a lot, but look at how long the people lived you know I mean we have almost a thousand years of a lifespan, so when we 're saying generations it's could be four, four, you know, it could be four it could be one hundred and fifty to four hundred years or more between the generations and, and people were were being born and, and you know, the population is multiplying. So again, the, the population on the planet at that time may have been around 750 million people. Some people believe less. Some people have estimated as, much, as many as a billion people on the planet at this time. So they were increasing in number. In verse two, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Once you to look at this process. The sons of God saw, and Brother Ben brought this parallel to me when we were talking on Friday about this. They saw they observed beauty and they married or they took them doesn't this sound so similar to eve she saw it was beautiful to the eye so she took and this is what was happening now the thing is is like what in the world does this mean sons of god and daughters of humans i'm glad you ask <laughs> let's go on <laughs> three theories one is that sons of god were actually fallen angels they came down and married daughters of humans. Another theory is that the sons of God were actually of the lineage of Seth, a godly man. And another theory is that sons of God was referring to rulers, what we would call kings of the day. So there's different interpretations. And as we go through this passage in, a lot of, in the Old Testament, there are a lot of things that are really, they can be interpreted different ways. They're hard to understand. Now, and, the, and there's plenty of support if you look at all three of those theories. There's support for all those theories, and there's also reasons to question each of those theories. My personal uh, opinion is that I believe that, that the, the sons of, of God were actually of the lineage of Seth, and they were marrying daughters of humans or daughters of men who were of the lineage of Cain, that it was the godly mixing with the ungodly. You know, and being men of renown, again, that's a position that they were, that they were in, they were powerful. Um, some are connecting these later in Giants to Giants. The Nephilim are mentioned one other time, it's in Romans, or I'm sorry, in Numbers chapter 13. But the thing is, is that regardless of which theory is embraced, there's a mixture of godly and ungodly. And it, there's this corruption that's happening and growing and that's what we can draw from this passage, again, regardless of how we, how we might interpret the sons of God and daughters of men. But here's God's response in verse 3. My spirit will not contend with humans forever. They are immortal. Their days will be 120 years. Again, this, the state, this statement is interpreted a couple different ways. Some believe that God was now defining a lifespan to be 120 years. But yet we see in Scripture beyond this that that's not the case. It, it takes time before the lifespan to decrease. So we see even after the flood, again, that people are living very long. But this is something that I hadn't seen before, but yet it's a very common interpretation that God, was say, God may have been saying here that, there, that uh, again, their there days will be 120 years, that God may have started the clock ticking to the flood. Their time will be 120 years. And that may have been the countdown until the flood was coming. Moving on to verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So when we look at this passage, again, there's some things that it's hard for us to reconcile. But I want you to look at the way that what God saw when he looked at human beings He saw great wickedness. And listen to this statement in verse 5. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Think of the, the absoluteness of this. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is where mankind had fallen to where there wasn't a place in their hearts toward God. They were consumed with evil. The intentions of their hearts, their will, their desires, it was all evil all the time. And verse six starts with a a challenging phrase. It says, the Lord regretted. And then, so that's a description of what the Lord felt but yet we have at the end of his quote, at the end of verse seven, I regret that I have made them. Now, that word regret is is translated different ways in other other translations. Sometimes it says that he repented or that he was sorry. Now think about some of those things, like that God would repent. Repent means to admit a wrong and go a different direction. Sorry seems to indicate that, hey, if I had a redo, wouldn't do it. Like, it can almost seem like God would say, uh, I'm sorry, I regret this. If I could have gone back and just know Adam and Eve and this would have never happened. But what we need to understand is that there are, there are it's a, what we read is interpretation of original language. And the original language, the root word in the Hebrew, and I'm not gonna try and say that root word, but that root word is, in, is interpreted with 10 different words throughout the Old Testament. This root word that, that is translated here is regretted or sorry, um, or repented. And that root word, if you go to, to the root, and, and, the, and, and scholars study this stuff, and they compare different settings and all that, and, and the bottom line is the, the best explanation I've seen is, is that it's, this root really says that it's basically like an accounting term where there's a ledger. And in that ledger, you have your credits and debits. And it's as if God was doing an audit and said the books don't line up. Things, things aren't right. There needs to be an adjustment to the account. I know that may sound cold, but yet, yet, you know, we need to be doing that same kind of audit in our lives all the time, right? Like, where am I at before God? And allow him to make adjustments. Adjustments, And this regret or repentant or sorry speaks very strongly that, that things were out of balance and it was absolutely necessary for the God of creation to make a significant adjustment. And that is what is leading uh, to, to what's about to happen. But the other thing is that we do need to understand is that, that we, we need to understand that God has emotions, that he feels, he responds. We're created in his image and we deal with emotions. So, so it's important that we don't negate that God was feeling, he was feeling, he was grieved, he was mourning. This was not a happy decision because his heart is love for all mankind. But it reminded me very much of of Daniel when he gave the interpretation of the writing on the wall with Belshazzar. He said, you've been weighed in the scales and been found wanting. I believe that God was looking at his creation, at mankind, and saying, I'm weighing this out, and we have major problems. And there was a major adjustment. So, we look at this process of here comes Noah. Noah. I want to look back again. Enoch was the man who walked with God and was not. He was Noah's great-grandfather. Noah's grandfather was Methuselah, who was the longest recorded uh, living person in history, living 969 years. There were some close seconds. 969 years, and Methuselah died the year of the flood. That was his grandfather. Then his father was Lamech who when Noah was born actually believed his, his, his name, the name that Noah was given sounded like comfort. So this is the lineage that, that brings us to Noah. And Noah is a significant person in history. If you just look in the scripture, he's, his name is mentioned 50 times throughout scripture in nine different books. And get this, we never have one recorded word that he said. That's significant. Because we're going to be looking at his life today, and our life speaks volumes. His words are not recorded, but his life is, and we can learn so much from him. In verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In other translations, that word favor is sometimes interpreted grace, and this is the first time that grace and favor shows up in Scripture. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This grace, this favor, is unmerited favor of God. And when we talk about the work of Christ in our lives, it's founded on favor, unmerited favor of God. And we see this in Noah's life. So now we're going to look at God's story in Noah's, and we're going to discover three principles, I believe, that are key to helping us walk our faith. Genesis 6, verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. I want to read that again. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. And God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy them, both them and the earth. The first thing as we look at Noah I'd like us to look at and take from Noah's life and apply to our lives is this. Trust God and walk with him. Again, the scripture that we just said, just read, it said this. He was righteous and blameless. He walked faithfully with God. When we look at Noah's life, we can take this great truth that we are to trust God and to walk with him. Remember again, great-grandfather Enoch walked with God. Here we're seeing Noah walking with God. And we too are being called to walk with him. Noah was righteous. We know from Abraham that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. This doesn't mean that he was without sin before God. But yet it speaks to to him trusting God, to his faith in God that he was righteous. Noah was blameless. Blameless, again, is not perfection, but it's speaking of walking with integrity, with honesty, and an unblemished life. Now, righteousness, when we look at our lives, is a relationship with God, how God sees us. Blameless is how other people see us. Now, we can look at things such as reputation and character, And it kind of connects with what I've just said as far as righteous before God and blameless before man. Our reputation is what other people see in our lives. Our character is what God sees. Reputation is how we are perceived because of our life by other people. But character is what we are when we're all alone. It says that Noah was righteous and he was blameless. He walked with God, again, following in the steps of his great-grandfather Enoch. Now what is so amazing about this is that Noah was doing this in the midst of an absolutely corrupt, violent culture. Again, where the thoughts of every heart were toward evil all the time and Noah was righteous and blameless. This is miraculous. It's the work of God in a life. And we need to, to look at this at the setting and realize that Noah did it. We are without excuse. That one hurt a little bit, I think. Because we can look at today's society. There is no doubt that today's society is bad, there's no doubt that evil is being promoted, and that the pressure from around us is intense to give in to the ways of the world, to give in to the temptation of the enemy, to, to go after the things of the flesh. But Noah stood and we can too. I've thought about this. When we stand before God, what excuse is going to hold up? Peer pressure? The culture? Bad people around us? God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. Noah stood strong in the midst of a whole world that was bad. You know, sometimes we can look at the present day and think it's the worst there's ever been. You know, and, okay, I'm going into, I guess, my third generation of living, something like that. I'm losing count. But, but like, how many times I, can I look back and say, man, you know, it's going to be so hard to bring up kids in this, in this culture. And I've heard that now for a couple generations. And it's true. Understand that. Things are rampant. Things are more accessible. Things are, are, are in your face. I mean, the culture is, is rough. I believe that. But yet, sometimes we look back. We were in a conversation the other day and said, man, it would be so good to be back in the, the good old days of the 70s. It's like, do we remember what 60s and 70s were like? Seriously. So this quote is really good. The good old days are anything that happens before you're old enough to see the the world as it really is. We forget how bad it's been. Don't get me wrong, I'm not discounting the bad today. But yet, if we're afraid of our children... And what they're exposed to. And don't get me wrong, we need to to be wise as parents. We need to provide circumstances and lead them in situations that are going to help and nourish them to grow in the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord. And the power of God is strong enough to cause an individual to stand up in any culture, look at Noah. You know, and we need to make sure that we're not cowering in fear from the culture. When we can stand in God in the midst of the culture, that we can stand righteous and we can be blameless before God and before man as we surrender ourselves and as we do this, trust God and walk with him. None of us can do this on our own. Noah could not do what he did on his own. It was walking with God. That was what led him to a, a blameless and a righteous life. So how do we walk in this culture that is against God? How do we stand strong? How do we find what we need in order to be righteous and blameless? One of the key things, if we're going to trust God, we're going to need to trust his word. We've got to be in his word. Like, are we really going after his world as much as we're going after the culture? Let's think about our intake in any given day. Is the word central to our lives? How much are we absorbing and taking in the word of God versus how much are we absorbing and taking in the culture? You know, do we realize that a lot of the condition of our soul, of our emotions, has to do with our intake? This isn't throwing stones. This is medicine for all of us. Because I weigh it out, I check the ledger, and there's so much more in my life that I'm allowing to be impacted by the culture versus the king. So we need to be in the word more. We need to be settled in the word. Allow that word to be in us. We need to guard our hearts from the affections, from our affections that, are, that, that can so easily be consumed with the world. We, when we focus and we allow the things of the world to be central in our lives, it calls our hearts out. And it causes us to desire the things of the world more than the things of God. 1 John chapter 2, I, it's, every time I read this, It brings conviction to my heart. Because John said this, do not love the world or anything in the world. Okay, ready? I know you're sitting, but buckle up. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If our affections our desires are after the things of the world, where is the love of God? We've squeezed them out. For everything in the world The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. I mean, it makes so much sense when we sit here and read the verse. But yet, are we allowing this to flesh out in our lives? That I'm nurturing the love of God more than I'm nurturing a love for the world. It is so important that we're in the word of God, that we're yielding to the spirit of God, that we're with the people of God. He will give us what we need. He is faithful. Move on to verse 14. God's instruction to Noah, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. Verse 18 but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. The second point that we can see looking at Noah's life is this. Do God's work God's way. Now this photo, you may not be aware of it, but it was found in a recent archaeological dig and with digital formatting. This is a photo that Noah took of the Ark. Um, <laughs> there was another one that was a selfie, but he had his thumb over the lens a little bit, so it's that wasn't worth now, um, if that's found in an archaeological dig, yeah, we've got other discussions to have. But this is actually from Ark Encounter, which is uh, in uh, northern Kentucky, and it is a replica of, of the ark built full scale. And uh, again, we don't know if this was exactly what it looked like because of the shape and design. Again, those specifics are not given, um, but it's very um, it's intended to be very close to what Noah actually built Now, some people believe that it took between 50 and 75 years for Noah to build this. Now, some people think it was 120 years because the 120 mentioned earlier in the chapter. Some people think it may have been 100 years because uh, Scripture says that Noah had his sons at, at age 500, and then this was finished at 600. But more than likely, it was somewhere in that 50 to 75 years that Noah is building this ark. Now, we don't know who who helped him. We don't know if he hired people. We don't know how much his sons did, but I mean, it's a massive undertaking. I mean, you think about the sacrifice of time and of resources. Like what kind of fundraisers do you have to build something like this? I mean, really, I I mean, I, I just, there's a lot of things that we don't understand about this, except this, that Noah did it, did God's work God's way. God gave the instructions and he did it. This thing was Again, tran- translating the, the cubits to feet, okay, it was approximately 450 feet long. So that's one and a half football fields. It was seven, about 75 feet wide and about 45 feet high and had three levels. So if you look at the levels, like one level would be probably about the same height of the worship center here. That's one level. And there are two other levels like that stacked on top. I and mean, this is absolutely incredible. What was done some people estimate that approximately 500 railroad cars like you know livestock cars could fit in this and the estimates of how many animals could again logically could possibly fit in here is in the tens of thousands in fact some people estimate that up to 70 to 125,000 individual animals could have been housed within this I mean this is massive absolutely incredible and Noah was doing God's work God's way He did it as God instructed. Now the thing is, is that there's so many things, again, that we don't understand, a lot of unanswered questions, but yet we do have Noah fulfilling the word of God. We have Noah walking in obedience to the word of God. And we find out that that obedience led to God's provision. So we're called to do God's work in God's way. And so many times... We can question and we can doubt. But yet, I kind of believe that, that there was just this, in fact, there had to be this assurance in Noah's heart in the midst of, of, of people, and we don't know what was happening. You know, in Sunday school as a kid, you know, I hear the stories about all the people mocking him and Noah preaching all these years and people, and, and we don't know these, these things. Again, that's not recorded in Scripture. We know that um, in the New Testament, that Noah's referred to as a preacher of righteousness. But we don't know the responses of people around. We really don't but yet it would make sense. I don't think he had a lot of people supporting him. Like, what sense would it make to build a big barge on land? You know, and again, we're talking years and years and years of construction. So many times, our logic and our common sense works in opposition to our obedience. It doesn't make sense, God. Why would you tell me to do this in your word? It doesn't play out right. I don't understand it so I won't do it. Don't we often follow that logic? God lays something on our hearts. Is it a word from God? Well, it's not in contradiction to the word of God. In fact, the word of God seems to support it. It feels like God's leading me to this. I can reason myself out of it just like that. Noah's obedient to the word of God, and he's calling us to do the same. Every Sunday, we have this privilege to come together and hear the word of God. And every Sunday afternoon, we have the challenge, will I live it out? Will I do God's work God's way? And I'm only moving into Sunday afternoon because, honestly, it's so easy for us to absorb when we're here and yet not hold on to when we're there. This didn't say that every day God was coming to Noah and say, come on, Noah, this is what you got to do, this is what you got to do. God made the deposit. This was a hard word, and Noah did it. Can we respond and can we follow in that same way? God's calling us to do his work his way. We wonder why we fall short of the fullness of God in our living. A lot of it could be this very thing is that I can try to do God's work in my own way or I can fail to even hear the work that he's calling me to do. Guys, I hope this does not sound like um, heaping condemnation. This is invitation. God's pursuing us and he's saying, you know, I've done this amazing work through my servant Noah and I can do this amazing work through you. He stood up In the midst of culture he was obedient and he pursued at God's direction now we're gonna see one more thing we look at certain verses in Genesis chapter 7 they're just selected certain verses it's uh, 24 verses in 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 total Uh, you can read the rest at home but but beginning with verse 1 the Lord then said to Noah go into the ark you and your whole family because I have found you righteous in this generation in verse 4, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him, and Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. In verse 11, in, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the seventh day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the deep burst forth. The floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth. 40 days and 40 nights. Going to verse 17. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth and as the waters increased they lifted the ark high above the earth. Verse 20. The waters rose and covered the mountains of a depth of more than 15 cubits. Verse 23. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. When we look at this, I saw something that's very hard for us to do and submit to God's timeline. Noah was told to do these things and he was given the instruction and it was amazing what God did. I mean, it was kind of like Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. All the animals came just as God said. I was thinking, you know, what would people around be thinking? Hey, this is hunting season, right? Every animal's coming right in front of me. <laughs> but yet he trusted God's timeline. And these seven days were important as they, they went onto the ark. He trusted God's timeline 40 days and 40 nights of rain. Then 150 days. And then we're going to see next week another 150 days. They were on the ark for an estimated just over one year. Now, Think of the smells, think of the work. Now you understand why the window was around the top You know, let some of the odors out. But he was trusting himself completely to God's time. He went in the ark and God shut the door and they were there until God said, it's time to come out. And you know, when we're walking with God, honestly, time can be one of the most challenging things for us. Especially... We're a microwave society. We feel like if something's gonna happen, 45 seconds, if not, I can't believe I have to put it in for another 15 seconds. But you have to trust God's timeline. It means that I realize that my time is in his hands. And where I may be struggling to hold on or to push through, he's with us. And when we're trusting him and we're walking with him, when we're doing his work his way, we need to trust his time. Boy, I'm not saying this is easy, please don't hear that. But I want you to hear that it's possible. It's God's desire for us that we would trust him. I have a friend of mine, a pastor, that has lived for many years, believing that the fruit of his labors will not be seen in his lifetime. He's sowing seed and he's watering seed he's walking in obedience to God, believing that if he doesn't see the fruits, other generations will. I've had a hard time with that. He's a friend of mine. It's like I've been impressed, but man, it's hard for me to see that way. It's hard for me to work that way. Yet God's calling us to trust his timeline, trust his timing. Patience is part of the fruit of the spirit. Patience is what God is. In fact, we're only here because of the patience of God. We're only here because of the patience of God, because he's not slow in keeping his promises. He's patient, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Here's the thing. When time seems to make it hard, I want us to hear what Paul said in Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not become weary in doing good. There is a harvest that will come. Keep being faithful. Trust God's time. I'm very hesitant to make this because I don't want it to be misunderstood, but here's what I was looking at Can we have the same tenacity for God in living a godly life that we have for sin? It may sound like a strange question but I want to explain this we can get caught in the trap of sin and keep pursuing sin unfortunately so faithfully and when sin does not bring the satisfaction that we desire whatever that sin may be do we give it up or do we pursue it more and unfortunately sin has this grip And when that sin does not bring the satisfaction, we keep pushing forward. We keep going deeper. We keep thinking, if this isn't enough, then more is. When we look at material things, they don't satisfy, so I just need more. If we could have, let's say, a greater tenacity for pursuing God than we do for sin, nothing is impossible. Can we push forward in Him? So I want to go back to the very beginning with this difficult question. Why does God sometimes do things that seem to completely go against the fact that He is love? And I was looking during worship and earlier in the service there were nine people on stage. Do you realize only eight survived in the entire world? as a result of the flood in the entire world. So when I can't give you a reason for the why, I can tell you the who. That God is a God of justice and he is a God of love. And I can't see things from his level Isaiah 55, just read it this morning, that that his ways and his thoughts are higher than mine, but yet I can trust his character. That he, He does what is necessary. He does what is best. He has a view that I can trust. His justice and his love are not in conflict. I know that God's heart must have grieved For the hundreds of thousands of people that died. For his creation that was covered in water. But yet he does what is best. And he did this sparing a family for righteousness. That is through the seed of Noah that Jesus would come. And you know what? We don't even know if eight people in that flood were righteous. All we know is Noah was and his family was with him. God spared him. God created this time where things were brought into balance, where righteousness could be central. And You want to look at a hard pill to swallow, look at this. Look at the cross. The cross is where justice and love meet. When we look at the flood, we see God Bringing just judgment, the penalty of sin is death, across the world and saving the righteous. That's hard to understand. Look at the cross, it's even harder to understand. Because God takes the sin of the whole world and God says, it's on my son. And Jesus says, I take that sin upon myself. This is the justice of God being weighed out in that somebody needs to die. And Jesus said, that'll be me. And the cross is where the justice of God and the love of God meet. And we're called, we're called, we're drawn to receive this free gift of life through Jesus Christ. The only way for us to be spared from judgment is through Jesus. The only way for us to be spared from judgment is Jesus because he took it all upon himself. And Jesus becomes that ark that saves us from a drowning world. Jesus is the only, the only way that we can have life and have it eternally. He's calling us today. Jesus gave this prophecy, Matthew chapter 24, and again in Luke 17. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We are living in the day of wickedness, corruption, and violence. We're living in a day, as Jesus described, of the eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And it happened right up to that moment that no one is failing of the ark. And we're living in this moment in a time of grace and mercy. But Jesus is coming back to receive his own. And those who are not ready will remain. And for all who do not receive Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, there's an eternity of death, a second death. And God is saying, Here is the ark, come in. Come. So, this is definitely an invitation for any who are not His. If you have not accepted the work of Jesus Christ as the work that He's given for you, His death for your sin, and you have not surrendered, your life to the lordship, to the reign, to the rule of Jesus Christ. Today is your day. I don't know where we are, but we are close to the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the provision for all. So this is an invitation for you who are not yet in relationship with Jesus Christ. With God the Father through Jesus. And this is an invitation for all of us to draw near, to plant our feet firmly and say, I will walk in the way of the Lord. I will trust Him. I will walk with Him. I will do God's work and I will do it His way. And I will trust His timing. So we've talked about walking. Enoch walked, Noah walked. And I want to give an invitation because I believe some of you God's going to call to walk. we're going to just have a short time of worship and song. And for some of you, God may say, I want you to walk now. This isn't an obligation, but I believe that God's going to be speaking some. He's just going to ask you to walk and come front as a declaration of a fresh work of God in your life. It may be a surrender of your life, that you're surrendering him to, to him as Lord and Savior. It may be that you're, you're making a declaration that I am going to commit not to allow this culture to drag me down, but to stand on the word of God and walk faithfully with Him. Whatever God is speaking to you, He may call you to walk. And I just want to invite you to come to the front and stand, and this is time, you and him. But whether you are called to walk or not, we're all called to stand to stand firm, have our feet firmly planted. And I just want to encourage, invite all of us to, again, allow him to speak the word of truth that he's desiring to speak to you and respond in obedience. So if you would now please stand. For those as we're worshiping and that would be called to walk, please walk forward. But you follow the Lord and obey. What he would call you to do.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.